Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Thursday, so you're hearing familiar voices. That would be Ari Temkin and Roy White, and we are pleased to be joined with you. This is Broadcasting the Boys right here on the Blogging the Boys Network. Roy White on Twitter at RW3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports. Roy, sir? My friend, uh, I am still trying to digest the fact that we witnessed the greatest onside kick that we maybe have ever seen executed in a way that is so unusual it actually got the players on the field to freeze in position and watch it happen in slow motion. Um, I'm still trying to get over how fortunate the Cowboys are to be one and one today. And then I think about the fact that they could just as easily be two and O or O and two. And then I look to this game this weekend and say, regardless of what they could be or should be, there is zero pressure on the Dallas Cowboys to win this game against the Seattle Seahawks. Why? That's interesting. Well, we'll start with the pressure. It basically comes down to the quality of their division. We thought the NFC East was going to be bad in 2020, but at least we thought that the Philadelphia Eagles would give the Cowboys a run for their money at the top of the division. And in the past week, We've seen Saquon Barkley tear his ACL. We've seen Jalen Rager, who today was just put on injured reserve by the Philadelphia Eagles, and a receiving core that consists of Deshaun Jackson, Greg Ward, and two other guys. They have four receivers on their squad at this moment. And then a Washington no-name football team that, despite the fact that they're one-and-one, are seven-point underdogs against a bad Cleveland team this weekend. The Cowboys, to me, while this would be a great game to win, are playing a game in which I think the fan base can reasonably say there's a better quarterback on the other side of the field. That's not to take anything away from Dak Prescott. That's to say Russell Wilson, to me, is the second-best, second-most feared quarterback that any opponent would want to see right now in the NFL outside of Patrick Mahomes. I think Russell inspires more fear in defenses than Lamar Jackson does, even though Lamar Jackson is a unique weapon unto himself. So to me, between all of those factors, quality of the NFC East, the health of their current biggest rivals and the Giants and the Eagles, who if you're going to name any two teams in the East, they're the closest. And then a Redskins team who maybe can put a little fear into you defensively but does nothing from an offensive standpoint. Again, Ari, challenge me. There is not a lot of pressure for the Cowboys to win this football game. Yeah. I mean, they have a win at least yet so far. Um, 
it's early enough in the season. This is one of their tougher games, certainly. No, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think the idea of, you know, every football game is a must win in the NFL, you know, it's obviously overplayed. And so that's kind of what you're playing into here. Like this is a game that would be great to win, but it, this game, the outcome of this game has no bearing on the future of the Cowboys. I, I guess I do wonder though, is this, you know, is this a litmus test for what the Cowboys could potentially be in a postseason game? Like we can't just look at it from the lens of, well, they're going to win the division still. The division's so bad. And that's a fun conversation. I don't want to dismiss that conversation. However, I do want to say that no team is what they were in week three in week 17. Yeah. In True. week 18 and week 19. True. And for me, if the Cowboys aren't going to realistically compete for the number one spot in the NFC, then they're just as well off placing anywhere else in the playoffs. And if all they have to do is win their division to get there, again, an extra team from the NFC and the AFC into the playoffs this season means there's just one team that's getting a bye. If the Cowboys aren't ultimately going to be competing for that one bye, and I don't want to dismiss their ability to win that just yet, but looking at the IR situation and the current injury situation of the Cowboys, you'd have to think that you're more hopeful they can tread water in the coming weeks versus discover some type of offensive explosion, which we're not necessarily sure is going to come unless Dak Prescott can put on another heroic performance as he did against the Falcons. Um, yeah, I just think that while you would love to be able to test yourself against the best team in the NFC in the Seattle Seahawks, who may be, um, yeah, I think they are. I think they are so far. And I would agree. By the time you get to week 17, both of those teams will look vastly different and will have completely different feelings about them to the point that when we look back on the week three matchup, we'll almost dismiss it because it will be so far in the rearview mirror of what these teams have ultimately become. Hey, hey, we haven't even started rushing from a three-point stance yet, Ari. <laughs> Like, I know that you and I have talked at end, at length, about how this defense really just needs to be mediocre, and up to this point, they have not been. Uh, but maybe the stance, maybe putting an, an extra finger in the ground uh, or a hand in the ground is what's going to spark this thing going forward. What do you think? That's right. So update us here. What, what are you speaking to right now? Um, so you had seen the story, I suppose, Everson Griffin, uh, responded to a colleague of ours, a friend of ours, Jeff Cavanaugh, who works with 105.3, the fan does a fantastic job on their afternoon show. And he does a little film work as well on the side on his YouTube page. And, uh, he was just kind of going through some opinions about what he had seen. And he mentioned Everson Griffin, uh, not being a guy who's performed very well for this team and Everson in his, I guess, haste to take up the mantle for all the Cowboys players of the past who have argued with people on social media who have been even the slightest bit critical of their game took to Twitter to respond to Jeff angrily and basically said, you don't know what the F you're talking about. Well, a day later, he spoke with reporters on Wednesday 
and essentially said, yeah, you know what? Our pass rush hasn't been as good as it could have been over the first couple weeks, but we're going to be out to change that. See, (laughs) I'm done experimenting with standing up and rushing the passer. I'm going to go back to what made me successful as a pass rusher by putting my hand in the ground, and that's what he's going to do against Seattle. So, I mean, is it safe to say we could potentially see two Alden Smiths out on the field this upcoming weekend uh, in both number 58 and number 97? Uh, who's to say? You know, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm just a guy, okay? I'm just a guy speaking about what could be. <laughs> So do you think it's related that Everson Griffith would come out and say, I'm going to be in more of a three-point stance because that's what I'm more comfortable with after arguing with Jeff Cavanaugh on Twitter about his lack of production through two weeks? you think it's a coincidence there? Um, I don't necessarily know if they changed their entire thought process on the way they were going to rush the passer based specifically on what Kavanaugh mentioned. Because, again, it wasn't – That would be per- ridiculous. It wasn't particularly scathing. It was Everson Griffin has not been a very good football player for the Dallas Cowboys through two games this season. And Everson's response was somewhat to the effect of, well, I haven't been that great because I'm kind of ramping up to become what I need to become as the season goes on. And to that, I would say, well, you know, if that's the case, then what was all the preseason shirtless photos about like I thought that was all about you being in shape and being ready to go when called upon now you say you need a couple weeks to ramp up perhaps understandable in this 2020 COVID but also like also Jeff Cavanaugh was assessing your play today right like he, he was assessing here I've seen two weeks of film here's my assessment of two weeks of film like I'm not projecting out what the season should be for you like yeah, I understand it's week two, but like my job is to analyze what I've seen through two weeks. So all I can analyze is the two games I've seen, and this is my analysis of it. It's like, it's, it's like I, get, I get Everson Griffin's point of view, but I also like you're really arguing a, a moot point because like what he's doing is telling people that listen to him what he's viewing from you for the first two weeks. And it's not good. The fact that it'll get better, like that's great, and, but that's not, that's not what the point is here. And that's like, you know, I – It'd be great if this becomes like this huge narrative on the season, wouldn't it? Like, Everson well, Griffin, Jeff is a league in sacks because of Jeff Cavanaugh calling him out. Jeff is a humble enough guy that he's not going to pretend like he, you know, right. put the chip on the shoulder of a player like Skip Bayless might have to give him the motivation necessary to turn his game around. I don't think that's the case. But to your point, clearly, Everson within the last 24 hours had seen something that made him agree with Kavanaugh's assessment because if he didn't, he wouldn't have replied to reporters to, you know, on Wednesday that not only had he not played up to what he thought his potential was, the defensive line hasn't created enough pressure that they were projected to create prior to the season beginning. And they need to do something to potentially change that. Now, if, he looks as slow off the line as he has the first two weeks in week three, even in a three-point stance, then we can maybe sound the alarm. But quite frankly, Ari, if we're sounding the alarm on this defense, if we're sounding the alarm on this Cowboys team in any essence, 
defensive line isn't necessarily the first place I'd be sounding the alarm heading into a matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Why is that? Defensive line, while I expect them to have a prominent role in Sunday's game, um, especially with their containment of Russell Wilson and, and, and trying to create some pressure, um, the fact that they're as banged up as they are in the secondary as we speak that's to me a greater cause for concern this week and going forward. Again, when yeah. we get into divisional matchups, Cowboys fans are going to feel a lot better about their injury situation because even with some of the players that they have at these positions playing a backup role and being forced into a starter role, I still think they match up favorably to the likes of the Giants and the and the Washington football team and the Eagles. But they're having to play some of the better teams in the NFC in the early going, and perhaps they're, they're getting a taste of what may come in the playoffs, as you mentioned. So I, I do – because, I mean, their defense is built front to back, you know, so, like, they've invested money and draft capital into their defensive line. So I don't – I don't believe, like – that like what the Cowboys believe, like Stephen Jones believes you build your defense through the front and then, you know, your, your secondary falls in line. What you're saying is I'm worried. You're more worried more about the secondary against Russell Wilson, which is a very reasonable thing to say. Also, Russell Wilson doesn't get sacked very often. So it's like, even if the offensive line's not great, good luck sacking him. But I just, the, the secondary is just not good. It's not going to be good. They've invested nothing in it other than like a second round pick this year, but he's not going to be good this year. He's, it's going to take some time. Like he's, he's good this year. That's what I'm saying, but it's going to take some time. So it's like you, the secondary is not going to be good. Their defensive line is the only part of this defense that has any chance of being good. And, and maybe then we'll see the strategy that Steven Jones believes to be true that the defensive lines impact one impact will, 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 will be beneficial for the secondary. Boy, how quickly we just gloss over that once vaunted linebacker duo that we were anticipating yeah. having in 2020. That was, we fast. don't even, we don't even have half of that at this point. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I do think there's a need because like, to me, the biggest concern for this Cowboys team is their defensive line. Like, I think that's a bigger concern than their offensive line right now, which is obviously in shambles with, with the offensive tackle situation. But to me, it's just like I, want to, I need to see the ability to generate more pressure. And it's just – I mean, to your point, it's just a tough week to do that because Russell Wilson is not a quarterback that gets sacked a ton. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I give them a little bit of a pass in week one because the scheme that the Rams run – is so yeah, unique. Neutralized it. Yeah. It has players that may be quick off the off the ball, quick off the line. It has them hesitating. And then in week two, we saw a hobbled Demarcus Lawrence really only play about twenty five percent of the game's total snaps. And when you have your, as you mentioned, most expensive player not playing in the game at the position. That's going to be a considerable loss. Now, maybe perhaps it shouldn't have been as pronounced as it was, but yeah, I suppose I can agree with you that if there's going to be any hope with this defensive unit, it's going to be with the defensive line. But I would say from the standpoint of health, outside of this Demarcus Lawrence issue that 
Uh, didn't keep him out of practice yesterday, by the way. He was out of practice because his wife was in labor. A lot of people got concerned about that fact. I still don't know what that necessarily means for his availability against Seattle, but I do think if he's out there and you have a healthy Alden Smith and you have an Everson Griffin rushing the passer from a place that he's comfortable, I'm taking his word that it's a comfort thing that's going to allow him to find a little bit more speed off the line, a little bit more quickness. And quite honestly, you mentioned draft capital. Maybe the best defensive line player so far for the Cowboys has been the guy who almost everybody wrote off a season ago in Tristan Hill. Yeah. I don't know if you watched some of the individual um, plays that he made in their last game uh, against the Falcons, but he absolutely had a couple of series where he was doing damage on the interior and creating some real pressure and causing some problems for the opponent. So, um, yeah, I, I ultimately I would agree with you that the defensive line, I still have hope that they can be successful and they're going to have to be the ones to turn this thing around. But against Russell Wilson, I guess I just figure he will do enough to get rid of the football quickly enough to where you can't get a hand on him. Uh, His mobility is that, that, you know, you might have a good pass rush, but he's so talented, it, it may not matter. So I think we could see a little bit of an aberration here this weekend where the defensive line is starting to round into form, but they still struggle against the second-best quarterback or best quarterback, depending on who you ask, in the National Football League right now. Yeah. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, you're right. I mean, I would imagine we might not see much production from the defensive line this week because of the, the opponent they're playing, but that doesn't mean that there isn't, it's Jason Garrett's favorite term, invisible progress for that defensive line this, this week. Some invisible progress, my favorite kind of progress. Well, this does present a unique matchup decision for the Cowboys though, because They're coming off of a game where they scored 40 points. Granted, they needed a a lucky late onsides kick to be able to do it. But we got our first 40-burger of the season, Ari. And now they're facing a team that it seems like you're going to have to score 40 again to win. How would you like to see the Cowboys attack a Seattle team knowing that if you're throwing the ball around as much as you might anticipate doing – you're going to also be giving a lot of opportunities to Russell Wilson on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – so the Falcons game showed us a little bit of a blueprint 
you know, and, and it's, it's funny to say that. For the Cowboys I, or for the Seahawks? For the Cowboys. This is a Cowboys. rare situation where in week three, both teams have faced a common opponent. Yeah. But, so, I mean, I, I, I posted a YouTube video on this topic, and that is, you know, the blueprint for the Cowboys this year is this high-octane, high-powered offensive machine, this great passing offense, and a pass rush, a pass rush that makes this defense credible. And so, I mean, we saw the blueprint on the other side. Like, we saw, you know, one of the better performances we've seen from, from Dak Prescott. Um, and everybody wanted to know, could Dak perform when he doesn't have a great offensive line? When he doesn't, you know, the Russell Wilson piece, right? Which is, if you don't have everything, can you still make things work? Well, I think we saw that in the second half of this, this Falcons game, right? I mean, not a great offensive line. He had to make it work, and he did. Um, so, like, the second half of that Falcons game is the blueprint offensively. It's, it's a high-powered offensive attack. I think the other part of that blueprint for the Cowboys this year, and this is independent of the team they're playing. The, 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 this is how they are going to win football games with the defense that's credible enough to get some stops, but an offense that can put 40 to 45 points on the board any single game, every single game. In this particular game, like I would, you know, I would really bring pressure at Russell Wilson. I would be aggressive in bringing pressure at Russell Wilson. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously worried about leaving my guys susceptible to the back end, but I'm just, you're, he's going to complete passes anyways. If this he's got he more than four seconds, your guys are susceptible. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, if you watch totally. some of the throws he made, uh, the touchdown to DK Metcalf where he just toe-tapped his feet in the end zone, the throw over the shoulder to Tyler Lockett, um, they were spectacular throws, and he can he can do it to anybody. So I, I actually would agree with you. I'd – be more in favor of the Cowboys taking a few more risks on the defensive side of the ball and risking uh, maybe Trayvon Diggs or, or potentially maybe, you know, uh, Warley on the back end, Xavier Woods, any of these guys being exposed. Like, I think you need to take that risk because Russ is going to beat you probably once or twice, even when you don't, even when you don't take the risk. Um, but you've got to try to generate something to – to throw him off and give yourself a good field position. We still haven't seen a situation where the Cowboys defense have, have put the offense in an advantageous position. Mm -hmm. uh, just off the top of my head, I, I'm not sure if the Cowboys have started a drive on the opponent's side of right. the football field right, yet this know. season. Yeah. You're right. And I mean, well, you're right. In some ways, coaching has gotten in the way. You know, I mean, fake punts, um, just weird. Call. I mean, I'm I'm just personally against fake punts. Like, I would just rather my offense be out there. Than if you're gonna do it, why make the show of deception? But I tend to agree with you in general. But I think because people didn't necessarily have a book on this coaching staff, I can see where they thought, well, maybe our first opportunities to do it. We're going to be aggressive guys. We're going to go for it on fourth down more than the average team might. But for our first couple of instances to maybe give teams something to think about going forward, I guess in general, again, I would agree with you, but I think in those instances, perhaps McCarthy was thinking maybe I can catch a few people by surprise before I unveil what, Frankly, we're not quite sure yet if it's going to be a full season's worth of doing it, but what Cowboys fans hope is going to be a much more aggressive approach than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I think so too. 
I think we've already seen it. And, and I, you know, the, the thing I'll say about it is regardless of the outcome of these, these aggressive decisions, there's a, there's like a process here. There's a plan here, which is not something we could say about his predecessor. It was like one game, he wouldn't be aggressive and he'd be criticized for it. And so the next game he'd be overly aggressive, you know? And it's like, there's no method there, at least with what, you know, what we're seeing now with McCarthy is there's an aggressiveness, but it's, it's, it's rooted in probability. And over the course of a season, you know, you, you continue to push the envelope on, in situations that you're, you know, more probable to score points in and have a higher expected points, you're going to score more points over the course of the season. As long, as long as you consistently do that, as opposed to the other plan, which was like not a plan. It was just like, well, we're going to, we're just, we're going to go for it now, but we're not going to go, you know, there, there, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be half pregnant when it comes to the analytical side of being aggressive. And that, that's the thing that I love about what McCarthy's done. It hasn't worked yet, but you have to believe that over the course of the season, it's going to work. Well, probability, the numbers say that it will work out for you. So <laughs> math works. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned it. If, if you stick to it consistently, if you do it the way that Jason Garrett would sometimes do it, Right. It's not beneficial in, in terms of a reactionary way. It may come off for you as great and it may look like a terrific one off or two off brilliant decision. But over the course of your career, when you make those calls, it's going to even out. Well, we've seen some of the negatives. Let's hope we can see some of the positives going forward. And certainly when they head up to uh, Seattle this weekend, that would be a great place to start. Well, we know that Everson Griffin and his three-point stance, I mean, this is going to change everything about this defense. I mean, three-point stance, uh, that's extremely exciting. I've read that, uh, that, that um, Brandon Knight has potentially been playing better than, than Tyrone Crawford. Uh, sorry, Tyron Smith in his prime. So that's really encouraging <laughs> uh, about the Cowboys offensive line. No, I, I kid there, but – He is um, playing – he did play well. But I do think – Two two instances on the Cowboys offensive line. We've been railing against uh, we've been railing against defenses and and how it wasn't quite what we expected it to be. Specifically, you know, Jalen Smith to the pass rush to maybe the secondary and the health of all those guys, the depth that we don't have at those positions. But man, they really found something nice in Brandon Knight. And do we need to have a discussion about whether or not we actually believe Dalton Schultz? could give us another type of performance like he did against the Falcons. Uh, Ten catches for nearly 100 yards, several instances where he absolutely sustained drives. He He turned the game around. And I agree. He turned the game around. He was an absolute force for this Cowboys team, the type of force that a lot of people were hoping Blake Jarwin would be. Were you buying or are you buying into – a newfound weapon for the Cowboys, not CD lamb, but here's yeah, Dalton no, Schultz. I, I mean, you know, it's funny because Brian brought us on and I, on the pregame show, we're talking about like, he's useless. You know, he's shown you nothing in three seasons or four seasons, whatever it's been to justify snaps, to justify being on the field, nothing. And so, you know, in one game, he completely invalidated that. I mean, he was he would the 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 reason I think he moved, he completely changed the game around was because when they couldn't neutralize the blitz, it was like this quick outlet. They kept calling quick outlets to him, and it was really just freeing a lot a lot up. And they, I mean, the first half they went to it and he fumbled, and so they kind of went away from it. But they went back to it again, and he was just such a key component of, hey, we don't have a great offensive line. They're blitzing the crap out of us. 
what can we do? Get the ball quickly out to Dalton Schultz, and now you're getting 10, 11 yards every time. And then, you know, and then he made some nice plays over the middle. But I just thought the softening up that pass rush of Atlanta was so huge, and he played such a crucial role in that. I mean, he was he blocked well. He, he caught the ball well. I mean, he had 88 yards, touchdown. I mean, that's as good of a football game as I've seen from Dalton Schultz and something that I don't think we thought he could do. But I, I'll, I will say a few years ago, I felt the same way about Blake Jarwin. You know, he looked like he had horrible hands. And so it's like sometimes guys can change the way you view them quickly, especially when their role changes. You know, that's the thing too, is it's like, don't underestimate the, the influence of a role change. And, you know, with Blake Jarwin, it was a role change. And now with Dalton Schultz, it's like, well, now it's your job. It's, you've got the opportunity here. Go, go, go take it. And he did. I can buy that. Uh, I also, though, subscribe to the theory that if you have a Tony Romo-like quarterback, you can take a LaRon Robinson, for example, right. and right. turn him into a great player. I think Dak Prescott is capable yep. of making a guy like Dalton Schultz look good. And uh, all the naysayers to – Right, but he's a guy that couldn't catch the ball. <laughs> you know, like you no, draw passes cool. consistently. And I, I, I mean, I don't – I can't speak to whether nerves were a factor or not in those instances, but right. I have to kind of think they were only because they were the first opportunities that he had to do it. And quite honestly, since those opportunities, he's been a sure-handed or was a sure-handed in a game as you could have possibly expected and played a pivotal role in their comeback. Um, the other part I mentioned, the, the Brandon Knight aspect of it. Now, I guess the potential here, not necessarily that he would start over Tyron Smith. I was obviously – being tongue-in-cheek there but if Tyron is able to return this weekend you can put Knight in the position that Steele was in and now all of a sudden you don't necessarily have a massive weak point that opponents and the Seahawks specifically might try to exploit on your offensive line I don't think Tyron's going to be back well, boy, by the way, they talked about it earlier this week. It sure didn't seem optimistic, right? When you talk he about – He didn't player, practice today. Yeah, when you talk about a player on a Monday as uh, we're hopeful that he can get back by this weekend, coming from the Cowboys even... who typically sell every injury right. day to day. As the most if, positive. Yep. If they're telling you the best-case scenario is they're going to look at it six days from now – you're right. The tea leaves are that that player well, is probably not going to be. I mean, and he was he was a game time decision, and yet he didn't even get on the field to, to stretch or do anything. Like usually, if you're a game time decision, you're going to try to test it a little bit to now see. We mentioned that was a noon game, and for a guy waking up maybe at like eight o'clock <laughs> or seven o'clock, the neck might be a little bit stiffer than it will be for a three twenty five kick. He didn't even try to give it a go. He tired. Tyron Smith had no intention of playing Sunday. They just, they, Mike McCarthy just didn't want to make it obvious to the opposition that he wasn't going to play. Cause he didn't even, he didn't even try to give it a go. Like he didn't get onto the field at all. And I don't know it long-term. It looks like for Tyron Smith, I'm not optimistic. He's going to play this week. I think the good news is I think this is the last week they, did, they won't have Lyle Collins. I think he'll be back next week. So to your point, we're, we're one week away from having, you know, Brandon Knight at left tackle and, and, you know, a really, really good all-pro level right tackle uh, as opposed to an undrafted free agent, Terrence Steele, who's been put in a really tough spot. And it's like, yeah, go play against some of the best pass rushers of the NFL. You're playing a year ago at Texas Tech and you were an undrafted free agent and no offseason. Go, go, go play against Aaron Donald <laughs> and Grady Jarrett. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
do we need to have at least a small conversation about the current Seattle Seahawk, who many people thought would have been a perfect fit in a Dallas Cowboys uniform? Jamal Adams? I've heard of him. We've all heard of him. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, however, you would rather have Xavier Woods through two games of the NFL season than How about Jamal that? Adams. Believe, that's, that's a bunch of crap. If you believe Pro Football Focus grades. Xavier Woods has had a good year this year. I'd rather have Jamal Adams, but I wouldn't have at that price. I was not willing to pay that price, and I want Jamal Adams bad. Yeah, I thought the price ended up being heftier than I would have been willing to pay. But it does make you think there might be a little bit of extra charge into a guy like that, knowing that he lobbied to come to Dallas as hard as he possibly could. And with the organization knowing how badly he wanted to be here, they weren't quite willing to give up what was necessary to make it happen. Yeah. I wonder if that'll play in the back of his mind at all. Yes. I do think hundred percent. I do think he'll have at least one play in this game where we all say, Ooh, I wish we had that on the Cowboys. Well, I hope only one because against the Jets last year, he had multiple plays like that in that game. Yeah. So just one would be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be, be a breath of fresh air compared to last year. You picking the Cowboys to win this one? I am not. I think <laughs> Russ is going to be too much. Um, and I don't feel guilty saying that. I would have I would have felt like I was picking against the I would have felt like I was picking against the better team in both week one and week two. Granted, after what I've seen now, I think maybe the Rams are better than we perhaps were willing to give them credit for. Remember, they were nine and seven a season ago when we thought they were in a down year. And uh, they still had most of the returning weapons that they had from last season. I don't think you'd have any shame in losing the Seattle Seahawks, as we mentioned before. Probably a top two or three team in the NFC with all the injuries to their division mates, San Francisco. I actually think they might have more competition from the Arizona Cardinals than they will from San Francisco as the season goes along. And uh, the Saints don't look impenetrable. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers is rejuvenated, but that defense still has issues, I believe. So um, I think right now losing the Seahawks would be probably one of the only teams in the NFC where you could realistically afterwards shrug your shoulders and say, eh, just got beat by a better quarterback today. Well said. I agree. Ray White on Twitter at rdub3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports, of course. Make your homepage, bloggingtheboys.com, for all the latest and greatest insights into your Cowboys. Appreciate you checking out this podcast and, of course, each and every podcast across the Blogging the Boys podcast network. But for now, Roy, leave the people with something. Hey, let's get after Mr. Unlimited. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. 
It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 